0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Alison Levine. She is an American mountain climber, sportswoman, explorer, and leadership consultant. She's the author of the best-selling book On the Edge and the executive producer of a documentary called The Glass Ceiling. So, Allison, thanks for being on the show.
1: Are you kidding? Thanks for having me on the show. Super excited to be here.
0: So now that you're a best-selling author and a consultant and a speaker, what do you like talking more about, books or climbing?
1: Oh, I don't like talking about books at all. <laughs> I um <laughs> because I will say I still you know after releasing a book several years ago, I still I'm not sure I understand the publishing industry, but I do understand mountains and mountain climbing and how to get to the top of a really big peak. So I feel like because I have a better understanding of that, I'm much more comfortable discussing it.
0: So uh, I wonder what got what uh, I'm sure you've told the story a billion times. What what got you into climbing?
1: Well, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and as you can imagine, it is oppressively hot there. The summers are almost unbearable, even at night. And when I was younger, I was very intrigued by the stories of the early Arctic and Antarctic explorers and the early mountaineers, I think because it was an escape from the the extreme heat in Phoenix. So I would read books and I would watch documentary films, but I never actually envisioned myself going to any of those remote places because I was born with a hole in my heart. So Mm -hmm. I've had three heart surgeries I had my first when I was 17, and that one didn't go so well. But I had another one when I turned 30. That one was successful. So at that point, this light bulb went on in my head. And I thought, if I want to know what it's like to be these explorers going to these remote mountain ranges or to these polar environments, then I should go there instead of just reading about them or watching documentary films about them. And if these other guys can go do that stuff, then why can't I? So I actually climbed my first mountain at age 32. Uh, and I'm 54 now, so I've been doing it for quite a while.
0: So did you feel, was there a sense that you had a lot of catching up to do?
1: I did. I, I did feel like I had a lot of catching up to do. Like there were so many years of my life that I wasn't able to be active you know, because of, uh, my medical condition and just health concerns. And so I just wanted to go out and live life to the fullest after that. So, uh, after I've climbed my first mountain, I just thought, okay, what's next? And I slowly built my way up to more technically difficult mountains and higher mountains. And then in 2001 was invited to serve as the team captain for the first American women's Mount Everest expedition. So leading that trip in 2001 was one of the greatest experiences of my life.
0: So, you know, now you're, you're, a decorated climber. Um, what was the first, was the the first one more of a hike? <laughs> you know, there's like, let's see if we get to the yeah. top of this. thing. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, the first mountain I ever went to was Kilimanjaro, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners have probably hiked. Yeah. And it's there. You don't need any technical expertise. Right. You don't need any kind of experience. Really. You need some warm clothes and some comfortable shoes, but that mountain for me was in a very important one because that's where I learned that I could keep going even when I felt like quitting. So it was my first time at altitude coming from Phoenix. I didn't even own any warm clothes. I borrowed everything from friends. I didn't have a fleece jacket, a Gore-Tex jacket, anything. So I borrowed everything except for I bought my own hiking boots because I wanted to make sure my feet were comfortable. That is very key. And so I, I went to Kilimanjaro and I remember summit day thinking, I can't do this. I have a banging altitude headache. I feel so sick to my stomach. I'm pretty sure I'm going to vomit. I'm going to have to turn back. You know, I was on my way to summit. I'm going to have to turn back. But before I turn back, I'm going to just take one or two more steps. And then I'm for sure turning around. So I took one or two more steps. Okay, hang on. I know I'm going to have to turn back because I don't feel like I'm strong enough to keep going. But I'm just going to take another couple of steps. And I did. Okay, well, I know I'm going to turn around, just, just one or two more. Well, eventually I found myself on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. And that's when it really occurred to me that you can keep going even when you feel like you're ready to quit. And you can always take one more step, right? Even when you feel like quitting, you know, you can take one more step. Well, that's how you get to the top of a mountain. You just take one more step a bunch of times. So that was a great learning experience for me because every mountain I went to after that, when I felt like I was going to quit, I thought, I've been here before. I felt like this before. I kept going then and I can keep going now.
0: So I'm guessing, you know, there are a whole lot of people out there thinking, yeah, I'm going to climb Everest. I'm going to climb whatever, you know, mountain. Um, And so those people probably immediately latch on to, oh, you did that? Tell me about it. Right. So you you sort of naturally have to educate, don't you? Once you've done one of those things, you know, everybody wants you to tell them about it, don't they?
1: Yes. Yeah. And especially Everest, you know, being the highest mountain in the world, and it's not the most difficult mountain in the world. I mean, it's flipping hard. Don't get me wrong, but there's an intrigue affiliated with that mountain. So everyone always wants to know, you know, really what it was like. And is it really as hard as you see, you know, in films and stuff? And it is, it is really, really hard. And I think What one thing that makes it so challenging is, you know, that the further up you go on the mountain, the worse you're going to feel the higher up at altitude you get. And of course, you know, this living in Colorado, the worse you're going to feel. So at the end of the day, when you crash out in your tent and you just feel so relieved that you made it to that next camp, then you have to think, okay, tomorrow is going to be even harder. And the more progress I make, the more uncomfortable I'm going to be. So you have to accept that.
0: Yeah, I, uh, my wife and I camped last weekend at about twelve thousand feet, and I, you know, I've, I felt a little headachy uh, in the morning just for, just at that elevation. <laughs> so, how did you turn this into a speaking writing career? That's where I was kind of going with that was you you naturally were asked to educate. You probably got speaking at schools, you know, things like that. And next thing you know, you are a published author and speaking at large corporate events. Uh, what's I know I know it's sort of trivialized the path there, but you know how how does one do that?
1: Well, I was actually speaking at corporate events for several years before I wrote my book, and what happened was, so I'll, I'll go back to the speaking thing in a second. But when I was on stage a lot, I would get off stage, and people would say, "Oh, we really enjoyed that. Is there, you know, how can we learn more? We want to hear more stories. Do you have anything else?" And so I thought, okay, I need to write a book so I can you know, so I can give people more of what they're asking for so I can share more stories. So when I'm on stage, I talk about the American Women's Everest expedition and the leadership lessons I learned from that. But, you know, I've been to dozens different, you know, of other mountains and the North and the South Pole. So I wanted to be able to share those lessons with people too. So each chapter of the book is about a different expedition, you know, either a mountain or a polar expedition. It's the good, the bad, the ugly, You know, the times where I could barely get through the times where my teammates had to really save my ass because I couldn't perform well. You know, I I've read a lot of books where people talk about being the fastest and being the strongest and how they really helped pull their team through to success. Well, let me tell you, I had some situations where I was a liability to my team. And that's kind of hard, a hard thing to face, but it's reality. So I wanted to write about the, those experiences as well. But I kind of, um, I, <laughs> with the speaking thing, it was just this crazy, this crazy experience of be right place, right time. Right. So I always tell people you need to treat every opportunity as if it's going to be your one big break, right? That is a piece of advice that I would like to give to all of your listeners right now. When you get an opportunity, treat it like it's going to be your one big break. So I had been trying to break into the speaking circuit for years and nobody was interested in talking to me. Oh, another mountain climber. Uh, have you cut off any body parts? <laughs> you no, know, they're like, we got a lot of mountain climbers. Like, we need something else. Like, we need something more interesting than that. You know, the Aaron Ralston, like, if you saw the movie 127 yep. Hours, the guy that right. cut his arm off, right. he's a friend of mine and he's a fabulous speaker. But people were asking me, you know, well, we got Everest speakers. We have adventure speakers. You know, you need more than that. Cut off a body part. Give us an interesting story. So, um, No one was really interested. And I'd been pitching myself to all these bureaus and nobody wanted to talk to me. And then there was one bureau in uh, the the D.C. area, Kepler Speakers, who represents me now. But they said, sure, you can come on in and talk to us if you want. So I went in there and I kind of gave them my spiel. So first of all, I will tell you that when I went in there, before I went in there, I went to their website. I looked up every single agent on their website, and I memorized something about them. So when I went into the Kepler office and they had all the agents coming into the conference room to meet me, I could shake their hand and be like, Oh, you know, you're Bill Halleck, like go terps. Cause I knew he was a big Maryland fan or somebody else liked horse racing or somebody else liked the Yankees. And so when every person whose hand I shook, I made a comment about. Whatever was on their bio or, you know, if it wasn't on their Kepler bio, I went to their LinkedIn uh, profile and, and I would find something. Oh, you used to work here. And I would comment on them. So I did my pitch and I was super excited. And they said, you know, we think that, you know, there's an opportunity we might be able to work with you. And I said, great. And then I never heard from them again. And so, well, at least I never heard from them for six months. So six months go by
0: and I get an
1: email from this agent, Gary McManus. And he said, "Allison, you were in our office about six months ago. Hey, we have an opportunity for you. And I'm thinking, yes, finally. And he said, I said, tell me about the opportunity. And he said, well, before I tell you about it, what are the chances you could get yourself to Vegas before 7 a.m. tomorrow morning? (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, "Ah, oh, hang on. There's, And it was late afternoon the night before. There was a 10.30 p.m. flight. I said, well, I can get to myself to Vegas by midnight, you know, 1 a.m. And he said, great, we have 5,000 people showing up at Mandalay Bay tomorrow, and the speaker just canceled. It's the, you know, opening morning speaker for the last of the event. And uh, so I-, I was the fill-in speaker. So, I hopped on this plane at ten thirty. I got to Vegas at one o'clock. I spent the entire night. I didn't go to bed for one minute. And I had to be downstairs at the AV check at seven. talk was at eight. And I created this speak, this whole speech about the importance of being a clutch player and being the person who comes through when people are counting on you. And I kind of mocked the speaker who, called in sick and didn't show up. So the speaker was actually this woman named Carolyn Kepcher, who, if you remember the show, The Apprentice, when The Apprentice was really big, she was Donald Trump's sidekick on the show. And so it was a hit show at the time. And she was, you know, quite a popular speaker, but she had to call in sick. So I d- built this whole slide slideshow about being a clutch player. And I made fun of Carolyn Kepcher for not showing up. And I pulled, you know, your fired video off the internet. And I had, I <laughs> Photoshopped Carolyn and Donald Trump into my slides. Well, long story short, I ended up getting a standing ovation and was the highest rated speaker at the conference. And they had all these really big, you know, 60, $75,000 speakers, all famous names except for me. And the reason that I stayed up the whole night is because I thought I've got 5000 people who are showing up tomorrow morning and they're going to be disappointed the second I step on stage because they're going to go, who the hell is this woman? This isn't who we signed up to come see. Right. It was an association meeting where people paid to come to the event. So I thought I'd better damn well deliver something today so these 5,000 people are not pissed off that Carolyn Kepcher is a no-show. So that's why I stayed up the whole night. I didn't go to sleep for one minute. So get a standing ovation, I and the meeting planner comes up to me afterward, and he goes, okay, who are you? (laughs) He said, no offense, I have never heard of you before. How come no Speakers Bureau has ever mentioned your name to me. And I just came clean and I said, Jeff, it was Jeff Hurt. who's a big, um, he's kind of a bigwig in the meeting planning industry. I didn't know that at the time, but I said, I've been trying to break into this industry for a year and nobody will give me the time of day. And he said, first of all, when did you put together that presentation? Cause I know you didn't get here until one o'clock in the morning. I said, I stayed up the whole night doing it. I haven't gone to bed for one minute. And he goes, wow. I can't believe you would do that. I said, of course I would do that. You were counting on me. And that's when he said, how come I've never heard of you? How come no bureaus pitched you to me? He said, what you did here today was amazing. And then I said, I can't get anyone to give me the time of day. And he said, that's about to change. He said, because I'm going to call every single speakers bureau I have ever worked with and tell them what you did here today. And he did. He made the phone calls and then my phone started ringing off the hook yeah. and I was saw the next year and then ended up signing an exclusive agreement with Kepler Speakers, who was the first bureau that gave me a shot. But I have been their number one most in-demand speaker every year for 10 years. And um, and Jim Kepler, who founded the bureau, told me at the end of last year, I actually surpassed Jim Lovell as the mo- most book speaker in the in- 37 year history of the Bureau. And I'm telling you it's, it's all because I treated that one event like it could be my one big break. So that's what I always tell speakers. When you get on stage, you perform like this is going to be your one big break.
0: So I'm to change gears a little. That's an amazing. Yeah. Story. I'm, I'm actually tearing up here. People can't see it, but that is was an amazing. Story. <laughs> and now let's hear a little bit about one of our sponsors. Simrush this is an SEO tool that we use every single day. I love that it's more like a suite of tools because we can find competitive analysis, we can find everything about how to get and acquire more backlinks, there's this keyword magic tool that helps in our keyword research, all kinds of link building, rank tracking, everything you really need including the ability to fix technical issues and i love the reports that it produces because we use those with most of our clients check it out it's simrush dot rush.com all right now back to the interview uh, so you're producing a movie it's is the glass yeah. is it's how's that coming it's not out yet right
1: It's not out yet because we still have to raise the last $200,000. So it's a $1.2 million film budget. Started off as just a small film, but then we decided to go big. We have three Oscar nominees on our team. And I think it's a pretty amazing story that will inspire anybody who sees it. So it's about the first female Sherpa to ever summit Mount Everest. Her name was Pasang Lamu Sherpa. And she had this dream to climb Mount Everest because she saw her brothers climbing and her father and her uncles, but the government of Nepal actually would not let female Sherpas climb. They would only let the men climb and the women were very much discriminated against. And so this woman, Pasang Lama Sherpa, even though she couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't even speak the national language in Nepal because she never went to school. Um, and Sherpa spoke a, a different dialect than the main Nepali dialect, but she had the courage to fight the government of Nepal for equal rights for all women. And she was finally granted access to the mountain. She tried to climb Everest three times and didn't make it the first three times. Finally summited on her fourth attempt in 1993. She became the first female Sherpa and the first Nepali woman to stand on top of the world's highest peak. But she died on the way down so she never got to tell her story. And I think it's such an important story to share with the world because it really does prove that regardless of race, gender, socioeconomic background, you can change an entire country if you just have courage, because that's the only thing this woman had going for her was courage. So I really want people to know her story. She's really famous in Nepal. She's even on their postage stamp. Right. Um But I want people to know about her because I think she's a good role model for everybody.
0: Well, so for what it's worth, I'm an investor in the movie. Uh, I even have the poster.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. The last two, you know, it started off as a $400,000 movie. And then we're like, wait a minute. Like, we want to go big. We don't want to look back and say, oh, if we only had a bigger budget we could have made it so much better. You know, we, we want to look back on this film and say, even if we had more money and more time, it couldn't be any better than it is now. So So we hope to um, be done with it by the end of this year.
0: So there are so many, and sometimes almost cliche, you know, metaphors that, that translate so well in, in just any extreme sport, mountain climbing to leadership, to business. And I know that you tap many of those, but, um, Probably my favorite. That is so easy. so is there. The journey is often worth more than the destination. Yeah. How do you bring that realization that most people who've summited a mountain, yeah, okay, I got there, but it's everything else. It's even the trip down. Yeah. Actually, yeah. a big part of of the of the trip. And so, you know, how do you how do you find a way to really drive that point home into leadership circles?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, I'm glad you mentioned the trip down because most of the deaths on Mount Everest actually occur after people have reached the summit because they use everything they've got in them to get themselves to the top and they don't have enough energy reserves to get themselves back down. They forget that the summit is not the goal. The summit is only the halfway point. It's halfway only. You have to be able to get yourself all the way back down. So that's why a lot of times people collapse after they've reached the summit. Um, So you, you have to... You you have to know what your goal is, right? Like in any job, in any small business, any marketing position, whatever you're doing, know what your true goal is, because sometimes it's not as obvious as it may seem. You know, people think it's reaching the summit. No, it's getting back down alive. But as far as the journey being the most important part, in 2002, when I was the team captain of the first American Women's Everest expedition, we actually did not reach the summit. We were forced to turn around 275 feet from the top in bad weather. Well, long story short, in 2010, eight years later, I went back to the mountain and actually did make it to the summit eight years later. And that's when I realized that standing on top of the mountain really doesn't change the world. It doesn't change you. Let's keep things in perspective, folks, right? Mount Everest is just a pile of rock and ice that is all that it is and standing on top of a pile of rock and ice doesn't really change anything. There are so many other things that are important in life that change the world, technology, innovation, advances in healthcare, raising kind, compassionate children that will contribute to their communities. How about just being there to support somebody who is struggling? A few kind words of support and compassion can completely change the outcome of a situation I would argue can actually completely change somebody's life. So all those things I just mentioned to me are so much more important than standing on top of a mountain. Now, what is important though, which you mentioned is the journey, right? It's, it's what you learn along the way when you're fighting like hell to get up there. Right. And what you're going to then do with that information to be better going forward. When you struggle, the, the struggle is what, brings out strength and what builds strength. There is strength in the struggle. So just like that first Kilimanjaro trip, right? I can't do it. I can't do it. No, I got to turn back. Well, hang on. I struggled and I made it. And then the next one, I thought this next time I struggled, I can keep going. And so you just have to learn from your struggles. You have to learn from your failures and you have to remember, there's two things you really have to remember about this. Um, One is that, Failure does not define you. Failure is one thing that happens to you at one point in time. And the other thing is that business is scary these days with the rate everything is changing, right? Business is scary. Mountains can be scary, Um, you know, when the weather changes and the landscape changes and you don't have any control over what is going on around you, right? The environment is constantly shifting and changing. And every time you have a plan put together, it is immediately outdated because of the rate of change these days. But what, so that is scary, but what you have to remember is that you can be scared and brave at the same time. You can't, you can be scared and brave at the same time.
0: I think it probably helps. <laughs> in a lot of cases. Yeah. I think the 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 cool thing about anything that really stretches you is that you never stretch back. You know? You, right. you get out there and it's like, ah, you know, uh now I can, you know, now I've got new capacity. Yes, <laughs>
1: definitely. That.
0: Yeah. Alison, thanks so much for stopping by and sharing your passionate story. Tell people where they can find out more about you, your work, and uh and uh, get a copy mm, of your uh
1: my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the podcast. So you can reach me on social media, which is mostly just pictures of my dog. It's not anything too profound. Pictures of, of my dogs, dogs <laughs> plural now. Um, it's at Levine underscore Allison. Or if you have a question or a comment or anything, you can always reach me through my website, which is allisonlevine.com. There is a contact contact page there. If you go to that contact page and fill out the form and send me an email with a question, I promise you I will get back to you. And your email from my website will come directly to me, directly to me, not to my assistant, just because I don't have one. Um, But I promise you I'll respond to any questions that come in. So feel free to get in touch. Um, I would love to hear from any of your listeners. And no question is silly or ridiculous or whatever you guys feel free to reach out. I'm happy to share whatever insight and advice I can that will help you because I know business, you know, especially with small, you know, small businesses, it is not easy and you always feel like you're climbing a big mountain and it's so much easier to climb a mountain when you can lock arms with somebody else and climb together. So consider me part of your team and please reach out whenever you like.
0: Awesome. Well, next time you are traveling through Colorado, actually out my window where I'm doing this interview, I can see Long's Peak, which is probably probably the, maybe the tallest in Colorado. I can't remember, but close to. So uh, you can wave wave to me when you're climbing up there.
1: <laughs> Will do. Bye.